if you'll turn to Matthew's gospel, the 16th chapter, and we've been uh, reading from these verses to start off and then moving forward from there. But it's such an interesting set of passages. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18. And uh, he said this, And I also say to you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Notice he said he would build his church. And then it says, after he said, I would build my church. So whose church is this? It's his. It's not my church. Any church that is genuinely has safe people in it, it's his church. And he said he would build his church. And so that's super important. And we've been looking how he'll build his church. What people need to understand about building his church, his church is not just buildings, it's actually people. So he'll build people, but people make up the church as a whole. So the church does meet in buildings, but it can meet in different places. I have friends who have been missionaries in, in uh, communist countries, so they meet privately, or you can go to jail for going to church, but that doesn't make them the church. Being saved makes people the church. So he said this, notice he said, I will build my church. And so that's where we get the phrase of this series here. And this is, I believe, week seven, my, my church. He's going to build his church. And he said, and then the gates of Hades or hell would not prevail against it. Never, ever will the church, until the Lord comes back, be extinguished. There is no ruler. There is no government. There is, there is no law that will ever stop the church, period. And the church is made up of people. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 12. We went through these a couple of times, but we're going to go through them again real quick. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, what is the church? This mentality has to change in people because so many people really do believe the church is the building and they show up. And then they're at church and you are at church. You know, our sign says, Christ to the nation's church. But the church is the church because of who's there, not just because people are meeting. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. He said, we are members of the body of Christ. Who is a member? Well, in the context, it's people who have given their lives to the Lord. They are the body of Christ. We would be okay saying today, it's good to be here. We're the body of Christ. Notice it doesn't say we're the head. It says we're the body. If you'll read the Bible and understand that, that will help you when you read the New Testament. He's the head and we're the body. Notice this is in Ephesians 1.23. He said we're members of his body. Ephesians 1, the first chapter in the 23rd verse. And uh, actually we'll go back to the 20th verse. 
This is a prayer that Paul prayed that he wanted every church member to know or every believer or part of the church to know. This is something he wants everyone to know. And if everything is just known automatically, why would you pray? If everything just happens automatically, why would you pray? And so he was praying for this church because he wanted this church to know three major things right here. And he wanted them to get it in their hearts so they could see it. And this is the third thing he wanted them to know right here. Uh, We'll actually start in verse 19. And what is, this is what he wanted them to know, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? This is something Paul prayed. This is in the Bible. God wants you to know, every believer to know, What is the exceeding greatness of God's power toward you? And he explains what power he was talking about. Toward you who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. What is this power he wants you to know? Somebody said, you know, have you ever read verse and thought, what in the world is he trying to say? When Christ died and rose again, there was a power that was released toward humanity. And it is available to mankind. And when people get saved, God wants them to know what happened when Christ died and rose again from the dead. What actually happens? Because, see, some people think that when people get saved, they just get their sins forgiven. And that's like, you know... If you uh, go to have Thanksgiving this week and all there is is a piece of pie and you bought the whole pie and everything, you didn't make it yourself and you opened up the box and thought, why is there only a piece here? Okay, nobody would be bothered by that but me. (laughs) I I would be thinking, uh, kids, family, who's been visiting this? And if they're like, not me, then I'd think, this is wrong. That this store provides a piece of pie out of a whole pie. And so he was praying that we would see these things because what's happened is, is the church has presented a piece of the pie and not the whole pie. So all people know for the greater part is we've been forgiven. But can I just say something? They were forgiven in the Old Testament. There's a huge distinction of what else happened. And he was praying this. Now remember, we are members of the body. He's the head, and we're part of the body. He wanted us to know what this power was that was directed toward believers or those who would receive Christ. Something happened. Notice, it says he was raised up to the right hand of God. Verse 21, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named. Every demon, power, everything, he was raised up. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What people need to understand is when Jesus was raised up into heaven and seated there, that didn't just mean he went to a location. It's actually describing his ultimate authority and power that he has in the highest place of the universe, he sits there. 
He has ultimate authority. When it talks about being seated at the right hand, remember when the disciples argued with Jesus and had some secret talks? You know, didn't argue with them, had some secret talks. Then there was discussions, and they were talking about, hey, can we sit at your right hand or your left hand? It's a term we don't use today, but when we talk about sitting at the right hand of a king, it literally is the place of ultimate power and authority. So when he talks about sitting at the right hand of God, Jesus is above all. And he has authority and power because, remember, the Bible said he stripped the devil of his power. The devil actually takes advantage of people now through lies and ignorance. But he's ultimately been stripped by him, and he is above him. And he has a place. He's, remember, he's the head of the body and we're going to see that the body is the church. It's us. Notice, and he's praying that people would see this. Could you imagine you could read these verses and not see something? Could verses just be in the Bible that are so plain and clear and you not see them? Are there some things that are just there that people don't see? You better believe it. Because if you go back, he prayed and he started he, talked about praying that people would get a revelation. That's just a term we don't use. But anybody who, you know, has watched a game show that has prizes behind a curtain or behind a wall, that is probably the, one of the, would be one of the best definitions of what revelation is. The prize is there. They already know what's behind the curtain. But the contestant doesn't know. I mean, if you watch The Price is Right, now they obviously get all the most hyped up people to come up there. Because if I was there and I was like, cool, new car, they'd be like, all right, let's find somebody else to come down here because I'd be like, all right, a new car. All right, let's just see what this is. I got, I'm, I'm here to win. But, you know, the people start freaking out because they see what's behind the curtain or behind the wall. Revelation just literally means to pull back the curtain. So, but what is the curtain that needs to be pulled back? We need to see what's actually already in the Bible. It's not some weird something. It's already there. So we pray for revelation, then we see it in our heart. And you'll, uh, I mean, I've had this happen, I don't know how many times. I've read over Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Because, you know, you hear people say, well, I've already read the Bible once. Good. Good, that's a good start. Literally. There is so much to be seen in this book, it's incredible. And, but I'll be reading over a verse that I read over, I don't know how many times, and then went, whoa. What happened was I got a revelation. What was already there, I saw. You know, you can get excited about Jesus again by just reading the Bible and seeing a verse that just said, and he rose from the dead. And something inside of you goes, yeah, he rose from the dead. And you just all of a sudden see it again fresh. And you're like, yeah, he rose again. And then you're like, do you know he rose again? Yeah, I know that. No, no, I'm telling you, he rose again. I mean, just one time, but he rose again from the dead. You seen that? And like, you know, when people don't get a revelation, they go, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, thanks. Great. And they're like, no, you don't understand. He arose. 
I'm like, yeah, I know that. No, 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 you, no, he arose. I've had that happen before, and I know when I've had people who've seen stuff, and then they're like, look, and I'm like, yeah, I, and you recognize they're just seeing it inside, and something went off, and they're like, no, you don't understand. I'm part of the body of Christ. He's the head. I make up part of the body. That's the church. And they're like, and someone else like, yeah, that's, that's great. No, but the curtain doesn't appear like this so all of us can see at one time. It's moved back in your heart so that you see inside. And you can actually pray. Or declare, Lord, I believe you give me revelation. What does that mean? I can see what's already there. When you see it inside, so you can get excited with your emotions. People don't realize that. And so they go to a baseball game, a football game, or different things, or watch things, and they get excited and stirred up in their emotions. That's different than having the joy of the Lord, having the peace of God, and all those spiritual things that come out of a spirit human spirit when it's born again and you can have joy in the lord totally be excited be turned on be going this is so good and the world is caving in around you emotions are usually waiting for things to change when you have divine life and learn how to tap into god's life and walk in it you'll recognize man I have something that's different than emotions. This is not just information. We're talking about getting revelation from the Word of God. And that's not our subject, but we need to see something. He prayed that we would see. And when you see it, you'll recognize life in it. You go, wow. And it could be super simple, and it can be just like, wow. And so here he's praying because Jesus has been raised up far above all principality, all these wicked spirits, all things, and he is seated in heavenly places far above him. He is in a victorious position. He triumphed when he rose from the dead. Now, verse 21, it says, And he put all things under his feet. Does this matter? Great if he's there and he put it under his feet. The Bible doesn't have insignificant words. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but if there's a knock, then we'll knock. Some of those people that knock on your door on Saturday? Not the ones that ride bikes, but the other ones? Have something to do with the tower? Watch watching some kind of tower or something. Their Bible, they changed it in the 40s. People don't always know stuff because they don't realize. But if you read their Bible in, in, in uh, John's Gospel, the first chapter and the first verse, you know, it talks about, you know, some different things. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a huge statement. The 14th verse said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The 14th verse says, 
and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, we know that the Word is Jesus. They added a little word in there, the letter A. You can even go back and get some of their old Bibles, and um, it doesn't have it. And so there says, in the beginning, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was A. They add. Let me go over to that verse real quick. John 1, 1. Wasn't going to go here, but it, a, a letter is important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, just throw in the letter A there, was a God. Was a God. Was a God. Not was God because, see, then they can separate it and begin to tear things apart. And, you know, just because they have that verse means nothing because there's too many other verses to refute it, and I've done that before and had them not like me. And um, I've had Mormon missionaries restrain other Mormon missionaries from physically hitting me. This is the truth. And I was just talking like this. I'm serious. I've talked to hundreds of them, literally. You know, our missionaries that are coming, um, and they'll be here, you know, in about a week and a half. When I first was talking to them on the phone, you know, and we were starting to support them, we didn't know each other a lot, but I knew it was God. And he said, so what's the name of your church? I said, oh, it's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Ward 73. (laughs) He's all, well, um, great, you know. And uh, he's trying to think, this dude's supporting us, you know. And oh, my. And I could tell, you know, I had him hanging out there pretty good and said, no, I'm just kidding. So then the subject came up. I said, I do talk to Mormons, you know, occasionally and stuff. I don't make a big habit out of it. I used to. And, um, and uh, so he said, man, we've got them down here. And we started talking. And he said, well, you know what? It'd be fun to have you talk to some of them. We got there. We did. And we had fun. I don't encourage people to do that. But if there's holes, there's holes. And just because some people have some scripture, you could leave some stuff out and you can, you can say all kinds of things. You can. And, and we know that one of the signs of the end times is people are going to depart from the scripture and do certain things like that. That's why this has to be a premium in our lives. Go back over here to Ephesians, the first chapter. You with me? Ephesians, the first chapter. Because remember I said, and he put all things under his feet. His feet. You are the body of Christ and members individually. Put all things under his feet. You are the body of Christ. He put all things under his feet. So he defeated them. 
he triumphed over them and put them all under his feet. Now, once again, because we live where we do today, in this time, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, like a good hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant, you know them. You know them by their pictures on the wall. You know the guy who's got the girl, and he's got that big feather thing on his head, and he's like this, and then he's got his foot on a dead cougar or jaguar. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? That is actually a sign of good Mexican food. No, I'm, I, but the truth is, when he puts his foot up on there and he's got his arm around, he's showing his victory. In the old days, what they would do when they would parade somebody who was defeated, they would put their foot on top of them. Because, I mean, even some of the stuff with feet, washing of feet and stuff like that in the Bible, that's a lowly place. Even when President Bush had that shoe thrown at him, remember that years ago? That was like a thing of disgust. Because when you put something under the feet, there's just something to that. And so they would do that and put their foot on to show their victory and triumph. But remember, it's under his foot. So let's keep reading. And he put all things under his foot, feet, and gave him to be the head, so he's the head of this body, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Where are the feet? In the body. And he, which is which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's the head, we're the body, he put all things under his feet. We've actually been raised up to a triumphant position in Christ. People don't know that, and I wasn't going to read these things, but for the sake of people getting lost. Notice this in verse 6 of the next chapter. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. We're his body. We are the church. And I don't want to get too far into this, but we're his body. We're his church. We are connected to the head. Jesus is to govern our lives through the word and by his spirit. But we are the church. He is going to build his church. Turn to Colossians, the first chapter. Really, with that, in a nutshell, he was trying to teach there, and as you read on, how that a believer can win out in every circumstance in life because they're actually positioned in a victorious place in Christ. And that falls on dead ears because religion doesn't teach that. You with me? Colossians 1.18 and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence or the rulership. He's the head of the body, the church. We are his body. We are the church. What should happen at church? I'm going to talk about that for just a little bit. What can happen at church when the church meets? What kind of things should be happening if we're 
if he's the head and we're the body. If, if he's the head and we're the body and he wants to build his church, what does he want to happen in a church? What could we expect? What should it look like at least from a Bible standpoint? That, that would be an interesting thought if we could find a picture in the Bible. Turn, if you will, to Acts, the fourth chapter. We're going to look at a couple of things. Acts, the fourth chapter, the church, the body of Christ. When, when most people got dressed this morning, what did you dress? Your body, right? I don't see any hats in here. Easter, there might be. But for the most part, you know, our body is the body. And we adorn it a certain way. But Acts, the fourth chapter, we are super connected to the Lord. Every person who is saved is super connected to the Lord, more than they know. As a matter of fact, a husband and wife, the Bible said, become one. And so does the believer with the Lord, too. So when people say, oh, don't leave me, Lord, is not good because he won't leave you. You're one with him when you get saved. In other words, he lives in you. He makes you new. We're the body individually and corporately. What would it look like for believers if we did things like they did in the Bible? Notice this in Acts 4.23. It's one of the first times we see believers or the body really get together. They have been persecuted. They were actually obeying the Lord. They were doing what he was said. They were out sharing their faith. They had prayed for a sick man and he was healed. And the people did not like it. So Acts 4.23, it said, And being let go, because they had got thrown into prison, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests, Acts 4.23, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they came to service and they explained. They all met up and they explained, hey, these people told us to stop doing what the Lord told us to do. This might be relevant today too. And it says, so when they had heard that, when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. They lifted up their voice. So what can happen at church? We should be able to lift up our voice. Now we're going to see they started magnifying how big God was based on the truths that are laid out in Scripture. They just lifted up their voice with one accord. So they just, they all knew that, and they just jumped right in. And then you heard the person say, well, this is just personal. No, they didn't say, just one accord. They just dove right in there. And what they do? They said, Lord, 
You are God. You created heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly, they're explaining who this Christ is now. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed or put your power on. Both Herod, these are those rulers, and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles or those non-Jewish people, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, it was part of God's design that he died and that he rose again. And they're explaining this. And they're lifting up their voice in one accord. They're all saying this stuff to the Lord. It says, then they start praying, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants, that's these saved people, the body, that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Notice when they prayed, something profound happened where they were worshiping and praying. Turn to Acts 16. Actually, go to 2 Chronicles 5. I love this verse, and so you may hear me read this more than once, because there are some great truths here. 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13. You can find these kind of things, and we'll look at a couple more in the New Testament. What happens, or what can or should happen in church, or in a place where people praise the Lord and pray? and preach or proclaim the Word of God. These things are in the Bible, so we shouldn't be shocked if we experience something. I wonder if we should be more shocked if we don't. You know, there was a, a board or a group of of preachers that was a board over a certain denomination. This was way back, you know, uh, I believe around in the 30s. And this minister, who was an older gentleman at the time, who that the other younger ministers who were on this board really highly esteemed him. And what had happened was this one pastor in this big denomination started explaining and telling his people how an angel had appeared to him and had told him some different things. And the denomination, all these other board members, you know, that are over the, these churches, kind of started thinking, man, this is what in the world? He's out there. He's teaching this about an angel appearing to him and 
all this stuff, and they were starting to ride hard against this guy, and this older gentleman didn't say a word, didn't say anything, just stayed right there with them and listened, but they all respected him. Finally, some of them said, well, what do you think about this? You know, because this is the only one they know. This guy, he said, what troubles me about this whole thing is not that he has seen an angel, but how come nobody else has? Now, I'm not trying to say we're all going to see angels or something like that, but how people can get over onto the other side sometimes of things. And what, you know, you start sensing God or Him doing something, and people think, whoa, when we should be thinking, why not, instead of why? You with me? But if you notice, there is a common thread through certain things that they practiced that maybe we should practice. 2 Chronicles 5.13, Indeed it came to pass, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. So these guys are all praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. We don't know how long they sang this. But this was what they sang. And they sang it again and again. We talked about this a little bit the other night, how over in the book of Revelation, there is some elders there and some angels there that constantly say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again 24 hours a day. And they've been doing it for a, at least a couple thousand years since that happened. It's the same thing. So what we should be as believers is not afraid to say something again and again to the Lord. I mean, how many wives have asked their husbands, boy, I sure would like you to say I love you more often. I've already done that. But isn't it interesting? People will go watch a rerun or a certain thing again and again. They'll listen to a Christian song or a certain song again and again and sing it again and again. And when somebody lifts up their voice and said, I praise you, Lord, I praise you. I give you praise. I praise you. I pray. What if they did that for 30 minutes? People would say, what's the matter with him? Maybe they know something and maybe they believe what they're saying. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. Not because of a smoke machine. They didn't have those back then. With a cloud. With a cloud, 
notice this, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. So he calls this cloud the glory of the Lord. When did it happen? After they were praising the Lord. Do you have a little note there in your Bible where it says continue? Mine has a number one. And then down in the margin it says L-I-T, which lit means the literal translation. It says they couldn't stand to minister. They fell over. They couldn't stand up. You know, when... Paul had an experience with the glory of God on the Damascus Road. The Bible said he couldn't stand up either, and he was on the ground. You know, when Jesus prayed for people at different times, the Bible said they fell down and looked dead, and some of the people said, they're dead. Then he'd reach down and take them by the hand and lift them back up. It's interesting that they just praised God, and the power of God got so strong in there as they were just saying, the Lord's good. Or we don't have to say that. We could say, praise you, Lord. We glorify you. What if we just got into it? What if we learned how to do that on our own? You know you're allowed to praise the Lord on your own too? Because you're the church, part of the church, if you're saved. And so they just praised the Lord. So this cloud just filled the whole place. It got so strong. I said it got so strong. The whole sixth chapter is a time of, even though your notes say prayer, it's really a time of pronouncing. When they dedicate Solomon's temple here, this was time of, they were declaring things by faith. What would happen? And so after this event, they just start declaring stuff and saying stuff for like a whole chapter and uh, then you get to the 7th chapter, and, and if you'll turn there to the 7th chapter of Second Chronicles, a couple chapters later, verse 1, it said, And when Solomon had finished praying, but part of the prayer was declarations. So prayer could be declaring things too. And so in his prayer time, it said, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now understand this, in the Old Testament, this building was called the temple of God. In the New Testament, the Bible calls every individual. Matter of fact, Paul said it three times to the Corinthians. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the living God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? See, the Old Testament, they met God. That's why the New Testament is so different. They would go just to meet God at the temple. Now we are the temple individually and corporately. And he said, do you not know? So if he said, do you not know, he was questioning their understanding if they knew that God lived in them, corporately like the Amplified said, and individually. 
So they, so in the Old Testament, they would offer up sacrifices. Now, we're not asking anybody to bring chickens or cows. I mean, if you want to bring, like, pulled pork, that would be okay. But not to offer up. But you understand, we don't bring those kinds of things in the New Testament because we're under a new covenant. But are you supposed to bring a sacrifice? Are you required? See, we don't live under the old covenant, so you don't bring these types. But there are parts of this we can connect with. Notice what happened when they offered up this thing, this fire fell, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You are the temple of God now. The glory of God filled that temple, but now He fills us. And how? We're talking about what can happen in this church service. What can happen in your own life when you're driving your car, when you're laying in bed at night, when you're doing the dishes? Is there an application here? There is, but I'm not going to get to it yet. Notice this verse 2. This is a whole nother thing. <clears throat> and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So they get done praying, and now they're about to go in here, and they can't get in because this is so thick. wonder if our expectations should be greater. That God wants to do more, but is there a human factor? Absolutely. I know I've had people say, man, we came walking in the place. You could just sense God. What if it was thicker, stronger, greater? And you walked in and said, whoa. I know this, when people come and sit in a service and God's moving, it's almost like smoking. When you leave and you've been around smokers, you don't always notice it, but then you go, ah, oh. you ever done that and throw, thrown your clothes in the dirty clothes? And then you go to wash them, and a couple days later, you pull them out and you go, oh, you could still smell that. People can get God's presence and leave being joined together and sent something on them, just as real. Firemen probably smell like smoke because they're around fires a lot. That'll sink in later. Or at least they can because they frequent fires. It's their job. But these guys couldn't get in. I've said this before. It's kind of like a water bottle or a balloon. You know, if you had a shoebox and you had a bunch of army men in there and you had a hole and had a balloon and you blew it up, they'd all get pushed to the ground. But if you had doors at the end of the box and you blew that up and it got full and then tried to put the army men in the front, they wouldn't fit. That's how thick this was here. 
under what 2 Corinthians 3 says is an inferior glory to what we could experience here. But if you'll notice in the book of Acts, they were regularly experiencing it, but there was one major thing. And it's interesting what that major thing was. Notice they publicly prayed, publicly pronounced, they publicly praised. Turn to Acts 16. Acts 16, and this will be interesting, because remember, the church is people gathering together, but the church is also individuals. So Acts 16, Paul and Silas, Silas is Paul's new ministry partner. He had had some strife and division with Barnabas. They split ways. God joined this man Silas. They start preaching, a miracle happens, they get thrown in prison. And they're in prison. It's late at night, and they're locked in the inner prison. Acts 16.25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Privately or loud? That would be the question. You know, I mean, you're in there with a bunch of thugs, and you're a preacher. So obviously, it's quiet. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to you. Oh, Father. Then They're in there with murderers. Notice they were praying and singing hymns to God. Not to one another, to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So they were loud enough they could hear. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from a sleep, seeing uh, the prison doors open, and supposing the prisoners had fled, drew out his sword, about to kill himself. And Paul called out with a loud voice. They were singing loud. Somebody said, Well, Paul is just loud. Maybe not. Maybe you're supposed to do something with your voice. Maybe we don't realize the connection our voice has to certain things. Turn with me, if you will. You can read the rest of that later. It, it ends good. Actually, ends really cool. I love Paul because, see, Paul's just an interesting guy. Where did I tell you to turn? I just, I did, I'm turning. You're waiting. Hebrews, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter. But you read the story there. You know, they were thrown into prison. They really, uh, for doing what was right, and they're thrown into a Roman prison. I just like Paul. Later, the guard, the guard comes and said, hey, the governor said you could leave. And he said, no. <laughs> no. In other words, 
God tried to get them out by opening the doors, they went right back in. Then he said, they said, you could leave. And he said, no. And he went right back in. He said, you go get that guy and you tell him to come down here. We're not going out the back door. We're going out the front. We're, we're Roman citizens. Falsely accused you. Go get him. And then the guy started panicking. I mean, three times. I mean, I'll just tell you what. That was supernatural because any prison that all the prison doors open here, people be running like ants. And over the walls and everywhere else. I mean, they take off. I mean, I guarantee you something was happening there. But anyway, Hebrews 13. I'm not going to tell you the verse, even though some people probably know it. Remember, the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices. God consumed those sacrifices in the glory of the Lord. Man went to work. Notice this in the 15th verse. It says, therefore, by him, by God, let us continually, or by the Lord, let us continually offer, let us continually offer. This is something that is to be a habit that you form. Whatever this is, this is something by him you're to do continually. We don't have many times where we see the church meeting in the book of Acts or groups of believers. We see activities that are happening, but we don't see lots of times. But in Acts 13, when people needed guidance, they had come to the end of an area of ministry and they were moving on to another area. What they do, there's five of them that got together, some leaders, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They worshiped God. They prayed. They spent time with the Lord. It's interesting if you'll look at the times when believers were gathered together, what they did. You with me? They would pray, and they would praise God loud, not to be obnoxious, not so you can hear my pretty voice. It's not a talent show. You know, if you've got a good voice so that everybody around you can hear because you're not singing to the Lord. I mean, to the Lord when you're doing that. You're supposed to be singing to the Lord. You're conscious of them. Our focus should be on Him. For, notice this, therefore by Him, let us, let us, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. To God. The sacrifice of praise. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. The Bible calls good works in the New Testament a sacrifice that's well-pleasing. Giving in the offering or giving the tithe and offerings is called a sacrifice that's acceptable, well-pleasing to God too. But also, praise is called a spiritual sacrifice. Matter of fact, P Peter talking about the body of Christ talked about we're formed together as a holy temple and we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And the Bible describes what some of those spiritual sacrifices are. Here he said we're to continually 
offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, and I'm so glad he told us because some people would say this, well, I'm just praising in my mind. I'm just praying in my mind. If just praying in your mind was prayer and God answered every thought in your mind, a lot of us would be in big trouble. Some of us would do, be doing several life sentences in prison for murder. No, it's what comes out of you. Notice, he said, <laughs> and I'm so glad <laughs> he put this because it just kind of eliminates the questions. Well, you know, I'm just more of the quiet type. I'm just more of the silent type. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to pull that off. You know, I'm just one of the silent ones. No, you're going to be like going, glory to God, this is so awesome. And everybody's going to say, who's that? Oh, yeah, that's the silent type. <laughs> and you're going to go, this is so awesome. Why wait till you get there? The fruit of your lips. What is the fruit of an apple tree? An apple What's the fruit of a pomegranate tree? This is going to get tricky now. A pomegranate. You guys are pretty sharp. And so he said the fruit of your lips. What is supposed to be the fruit that's formed on your lips? Giving thanks to his name. Praise and giving thanks to his name is a fruit of your lips. And we, and it's called a sacrifice of praise. It's one thing, not the only thing, but one thing we can offer to God as a group and as individuals. And what's so awesome is he didn't put a lengthy song there either. You're like, man, I got to remember this now. He just said, Thanks, connected to his name. You know what's so interesting as you read the book of Acts, because it's really the only time that shows the church in action. All the others are letters to the church. But it's interesting how many times in the book of Acts they were threatened not to preach the name, speak the name, proclaim the name, and how they would lift up his name. And they attributed miracles to the name and all different other kinds of things connected to the name. And there's such pressure against people not having this name on their lips. And he said we're to continually have this on our lips. Now, I understand you just wouldn't necessarily do this in the world, but it should be a healthy habit of a Christian to be able to lift up your own voice on your own and say, thank you, Jesus, you're wonderful. Thank you, God, that you saved me by calling on the name of Jesus.